0: Welcome to the Talking People in Technology podcast. I'm Jared Cameron and I'm joined today by, as per usual, by David G. How are you, Dave?
1: Oh, I'm very well, thanks, Jared. It's great to be here at
2: another buzzing conference.
0: We are. We're at the Contingent Workforce Conference in Sydney, 2017, and we're joined by Kevin Wheeler. How are you doing, Kevin?
2: Oh, very well, thanks. Thanks for inviting me.
0: That's quite all right. It's our pleasure to be here. And uh, this is a bit of a smaller conference than some of the other ones we're used to. Do you want to tell us a bit, Kevin, about sort of what is the, what's the whole sort of background to the Contingent Workforce Conference?
2: Yeah, well, I think uh, Trevor Voss uh, and I, that uh, kind of the, uh, the people that run the uh, Australasian Talent Conference, mm. we were talking a couple of, a few years ago about the fact that there was really nothing around the contingent workforce and we could see it as a growing segment of the workforce. And we thought that somebody ought to put together a, uh, some sort of an educational event around, you know, what's happening in that space, where is it going, and uh, and here we are uh, years later, uh, continuing to it's grown uh, quite a bit actually this year. It yeah. started out quite small, yeah, uh, but the interest has grown in proportion to the mm. general interest in contingent work.
1: Yeah, and it feels like uh, yeah, I hadn't mm. realized that conference does go back several years. Because the the whole notion of the gig economy and the contingent workforce is, uh, it feels like it's kind of this new trendy thing we're talking about. But the reality is, this is a a component of the workforce that's been around for quite some time. We've been dealing with these problems for for a long while, haven't we?
2: Yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing to me when I looked up the statistics. uh, It's fundamentally the same size in Australia as it was 10 years ago.
0: Right, the contingent workforce. The contingent workforce. Wow, that's su- that surprises me.
2: Yeah, it surprised me to be honest with you. And yeah. what's really happened is it shifted from the resource sector to the service sector. Right, interesting. And so you know, it used to be mostly confined to the mining areas. Yeah, and yeah. Now it's much less there, and a lot more now in things like education, consulting, social services, and lots of other, including recruiting. Yep.
1: Yeah. And is that um, I, I did see in your keynote this morning. Some statistics about our local market here, um, and there's a lot of talk about the casualisation of the workforce, and it's a big political hot potato uh, here. Um, are we seeing the nature of contingent labour change from being that typical casual, like the you know the the seventeen-year-old shop assistant being on casual, um, to being more of the contractor and con- uh, consultant type? Lucas? Yeah, I mean, I
2: think there are the political issues are coming from the fact that the who is contingent has changed, right?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And before
2: it was the, the young child, young kid, or it was a, a blue-collar worker in a, in a coal mine, mm-hmm. and now it's people like you and me yeah. uh, that are being contingent, and therefore the political world changes, right? Yep. So, you know, we've got uh, HR professionals, we've got recruiting professionals, we've got doctors, nurses, all of whom are contingent. Yeah. And this was sort of unheard of 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So, the, the, like we said before, the size of, the, of that workforce hasn't shifted, mm. but who's doing it has shifted, and that's changed the yeah. political conversation.
1: Do you, do you think it's going to shift? Do you, oh, do you I think it will, your, You are, it a, you to, are a futurist.
2: I, oh, I think it will continue to, to grow. As, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I think the ultimate question is, is it going to get bigger than 20%?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, I think it will. I think for sure it will. I think the issue is just, uh, you know, how quickly that will happen. And it's really going to be a function of uh, a combination of cultural acceptance, politics, and technology. Yep. Interesting.
0: Uh, I know, uh, Kevin, in your your keynote this morning, you know, you spent a bit of time talking about artificial intelligence and the role that has to play here with, with contingent workers. You know, are we starting to potentially see a time when, you know, automation and AI is is going to help solve some of our problems around reskilling and, you know, supporting the contingent workforce?
2: Well, I think think it can help. I think what you're going to see more, the most likely scenario is you're going to see the routine parts of work, the parts of work that today are rather boring and tedious, uh, taken over by AI. But I don't think that necessarily means we're going to eliminate the jobs that used to do that, mm. some of that may happen, but I think that those people will be able to use the the other things that they probably didn't have enough time to really do well, like engage with people, have more longer conversations, you know, find out a little bit more about what's going on, do a little bit more strategic thinking about things. That's going to be enhanced, yeah, by the by the fact that the robots or the AI can take over this tedious, boring stuff that nobody ever liked to do anyways.
1: Yeah. yeah. There, there was a comment that um, I think, I'm not sure it was a quote or whether it was from you, but I'll, I'll attribute it to you, um, that I liked this morning where you said um, kind of the industrial era was about making humans operate more like machines. Right, right. Um, and now what we're, the converse is happening, we're now teaching machines to be more like humans. Exactly. I think that's a really nice way of encapsulating you know, where the world's headed.
2: I, I, absolutely. And I mean, you know, we spent the 20th century dehumanizing people.
1: Yeah. You know, I
2: want you just to put the fender on the car and please don't never get sick and always come to work on time. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So we can make more widgets or, you know, whatever. Right. And so we really spent a decade, you know, dehumanizing work Mm. and Mm. now it's going the other way around. Yeah. We're saying, how do we take that tedium out of the work and put the people back into it? Yeah. So I look at it as a very positive, uh, very positive thing.
1: Yeah.
0: It's, it's possibly not seen as positive by everyone, though, is it? You know, it's a bit of a, it can be a bit of a hot potato, especially when, you know, it can be a political hot potato for one. But I think also as, as an, if you're an employer, if you're a CEO and you put a proposal on the table that says, actually, we think we're going to automate some of these activities and we think that that's going to be better for you. It's not always well received, is it? You know, some, some people are still afraid of that, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is normal with any change effort, no matter what it is, mm. I mean, you can go back in history and find thousands of instances where something that we think is pretty normal was resisted heavily by the people before yep. them. It's just a human nature thing, and you know, we most most of us we just don't like change. Almost no one, no matter if you say you you like change, yeah. you really don't. Uh, it's a human. It's a human nature thing. Yep. And so, if I come in and tell you that we're going to make your life better by taking this stuff away from you, and you're going to have to learn these new things. People get upset and worried and afraid and, yeah. and uncomfortable because it's different. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. And but it is. It can become these political hot potatoes. It can become a, a real issue. Yeah. Uh, so it takes skillful leadership to work through those kind of issues, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that's that. For me, that's one of the real challenges here that I don't think is being debated enough. I think we focus on. Wow, isn't the technology awesome? Um, isn't you know, autom- uh, autonomous autonomous vehicles are fantastic, and you know all this AI coming into our lives is going to make the world a better place. But are we missing potentially the social displacement and the, I guess the the socio economic impacts that, that this could have? Um, you know, if, if we move very quickly to a world where routine work is eliminated. Um, what are we going to do with the vast majority of the planet right now that relies on routine work for, to sustain themselves?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up uh, a really good uh, fear and, and, and a reality. And the fear is that um, we're just going to automate everything, and I think the reality is we're not. There's a whole lot of things that are way beyond the capability of any artificial intelligent device. Yeah, uh, you know, we're at the height, the, the the peak of a hype cycle around AI. will solve all our problems and do everything. And yep. every day we're learning of more and more failures. Yep. Uh, IBM's Watson was going to come up with uh, cancer diagnoses. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they've given that up now. It didn't work. Uh, it's very, very hard. It's proving to be even more hard than we think to duplicate. The human judgment and ability to understand the many nuances of a situation. And computers are far from that process. So I think we're going to see this move in a lot more, a lot slower pace than we thought. Interesting. Uh, I don't think we're going to see fully automated cars in the next five years. There'll be efforts, and they'll be heavily augmented with technology. It'll make driving the car much, much easier and safer. Much safer, yeah. But it's not going to completely eliminate the need for the driver. Right. And so kind of it depends on how do we mean when we say automated.
0: Yeah, to yeah. what degree. Yeah. It's you know, interesting degree. you raised the um, automated cars because Elon Musk, you know, the, the CEO of Tesla, he's openly stated that he thinks that, you know, AI is going to cause World War Three, And, you know, just, I'm just interested to hear your thoughts given on, do you think we need to have, you know, a whole lot more regulation for AI?
2: No. <laughs> and, and, I'll tell, and I'll tell you why. I mean, number <laughs> one, I'm not sure exactly what you would regulate. You know, regulating AI is like saying regulating the air. It's true. Or, or, your the brain or We'd yeah. love to do it, but we have no idea how. Yeah. And we don't even know what that means, nor who would make that decision, right? So I think that, uh, you know, regulating AI is sort of a, a political statement that sounds great. Uh, but I think the reality is that... Um, with every new advance, whether it's you know the steam engine or electricity, there's people that say it's the end of the world and doom yep. is here, right? Yep. And I think in every case we've adapted and grown and learned to live with that very effectively. And the same is going to happen here. We're hyping AI. You know, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna solve our problems, cure cancer, you know, save the world, and and drive our cars. And I think the reality is it'll it'll help us do a whole bunch of things.
1: Yeah. Yes. But
2: I don't believe it's going to replace human beings.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, so we fo- we focused a lot in the conversation already on AI, which it's a hot topic, mm-hmm. and you know we all think the the White Walkers or the robots are coming to take us take us over. Um, um, but uh, in terms of the broader contingent workforce uh, challenge, um, you know, th- uh, talk us through a bit more about the changing mix of the workforce, and, and you know, robots aside, um, what's that doing for the organisation of the future?
2: Sure, I mean I think what you 're going to see is an increased growth in work being considered to be contingent or casual yeah, and that you 'll maybe work uh, because you have a certain ability in a bunch of different companies doing something uh, you may do it for a year in a company you may do it for a month in a company I think it 's not going to matter so much I think that you know we've we've come up with a social construct that you know working a forty hour week uh, which is fairly recent it used to be 44 it used to be 60 it used to be 80 yep. now, all these things change with the times right yeah. so you J- know we Jared may... works
1: a 90 hour week for us so i'm really I'm, I'm pleased <laughs> that he's he a does. bit yeah. of a slacker oh yeah <laughs> part-timer
2: but uh but i mean you know the, the whole how much should somebody work is something so society's kind of invented right yeah that's right so what if we say you work 20 hours a week yep and that may exactly be what people do. Mm, mm. It may be that people have a lot more leisure time because of mm. some of the labor-saving AI-enabled conveniences, right? Yeah. But it doesn't mean people aren't going to work or not going to want to do things. So I look at work saying, let's say you're a lawyer. Mm. You know, the only thing left maybe that'll, that AI is not going to be very good at is arguing in front of the judge and a jury. The the AI may be able to present all the precedences and write up your briefs and Mm. fill in the forms and do all that administrative and research work. But a lawyer is going to have to sit down and say, which one of these am I going to use and how am I going to argue this? Because the decision maker is going to be a judge and a jury. So the lawyer's role becomes very different, and he may be able to do that in 20 hours a week Mm -hmm. and make as much money as he's making spending 80 hours a week now. Yeah, it's this whole. So it's about shifting what you do, you know, because it doesn't mean you won't have lawyers. It doesn't mean they're not important, Mm. but they're going to be able to focus in on what really makes a difference, Mm. which is influencing a jury and a judge. That's what really matters. It's not all that other stuff. That's just leading up to that point, right? Yeah. And so if if a tool can help a doctor make a diagnosis, that's going to be a really useful thing and free the doctor up to see more people. If they want.
1: So we focus so we shift our focus from outputs, which is that whole productivity, humans as machines, to outcomes. Exactly. We're there to deliver Mm -hmm. outcomes and if we can do it, you know, like
2: that. Very well very well stated, absolutely. There'll be and, and the other question with a lot of this automation stuff in the casual workforce is, you know, why do you want to automate it? Yeah. Just because you can? Yeah. And I mean I was listening to an AI researcher at Stanford and she was making a really good point. She said yeah, you know, we can automate all kinds of things, but should we? Mm-hmm. And you know, we're going to have to make human judgments about. Yeah. You know, maybe we really don't want automated cars on the roads. Yeah, maybe we want augmented cars. But do you really want a bunch of you know automated cars? Right yep. now, theoretically, planes could fly without a pilot. Mm. Do you want to get on an airplane without a pilot? Yep. I don't think anybody in the airport would want to get on a plane with no pilot. No. And maybe the pilot sleeps, but he's there. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's a psychological thing. We're yeah. human beings, right? Yeah, that's and right. And so you're going to want these things, even if they're not as good or as competent as the computer theoretically is. Yeah. But when there's 100 variables that happen at one time, that pilot may make a, a very critical decision Yep. that the AI couldn't make, right? So it's mm. not a matter of that. It's like maybe we need one pilot, not two or three in a plane. So it, it changes the, the role, but it doesn't eliminate it. Yeah, sure. So we're going to see lots of change, a uh, lots of jobs being broken down, atomized, I call it. Yeah. Mm. you know, Broken into pieces. Some will be automated. Some of it won't be. Uh, so uh, if you look around, already it's happening. Yeah. And you, I, the, the law area is a good example where a lot of the work that lawyers used to do has been automated, and it leaves them more time to be arguing cases. Yeah. So,
0: Kevin, so. um, I'd quite like to change direction for a minute. Dave and I have been having an on and off conversation for some weeks about um, the workforce of tomorrow and children and what they're going to go through in the education sector and preparing them adequately for the jobs they're going to have to go into. You know, if, if you were to stand up right now in front of the education minister or if you wanted to send a message to the education sector what would you be saying about how we can prepare our kids for a contingent workforce of tomorrow?
2: I think number one we need to change pretty much how we think about education. Whether we like it or not, we have a, a bias towards training children to be good at working in traditional jobs. Yeah. Factories, 40-hour workweek places, we ring bells, we, we change, we, we do things like we do it at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have not, we've emphasized the STEM skills, science, technology, engineering, and math. And I'm not trying to say those aren't important things to have knowledge of, yeah. but we are de-emphasizing what I think but is human. ultimately human, Absolutely. art, music, history, philosophy, those kind of things. So yep. I think we need to rethink our educational system, and we need to have a mix of all those things, yeah. but kids should come out of school with some understanding of philosophy, of, of human psychology, mm. of history, of, of the, the cultures around the world, yeah. all these things that are ignored today almost. And I've noticed in the last 10 years when I go into schools, it's all about science, technology, engineering, and math. Yep. And that's thin data, as I was talking about earlier. The thick data is understanding people, understanding history, understanding the context of things. Yep. I mean, Winston Churchill was the ultimate thick data guy, okay? Yeah. yeah. Who, who, it's like all odds yep. said, I'm going to stand up and we're going to win, and they did, right? Mm. And he took a huge chance. But why did he make that decision? Because intuitively he felt... This little England could do it, right? Yeah. So that's, that's the stuff that AI could never do. That's right. And, and this is what I think we need to help people understand. And he didn't major in... He didn't know anything about science, engineering, technology, or math, okay? Mm. Mm. And yet he invented the tank, Yeah. which I didn't realize, <laughs> and several other things, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Invented nice the tank. Too. But I mean, he was, <laughs> he was a classically educated guy and didn't do very well in school. Yeah. All right? So, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the traditional degree at Oxford was uh, politics, philosophy, and economics. Yeah. It's called PPE. Yep. And pretty much every leader of England has that had that's that right. degree. Uh, and ma- maybe that's not exactly the appropriate mm. mix anymore, mm. but it, the idea was there was no science or math in that thing, right? Yeah, that's
1: yeah. right. It that's, was, that, was, that was, I reckon, I'm the last of my generation to have that education. Mm. Right. And what did it do for me? It spun me into a career in HR. It was the only function in organizations <laughs> yeah, right. that... That, uh, where that, that kind of education is exactly. But I think we're moving the other way. I and think I, I'm, we are, I'm for really, sure. I'm really on board with that. Because um, when I was at school, the computer science was just coming in. and that, But actually, the kids at our school that did that did that as as one of the trades. So it was like woodwork, you know, <laughs> metalwork, computer programming. Sure. But the intelligent folks did three languages, histories, arts, and all exactly. that sort of stuff. Maybe when we need to move back... Oh. shift the equation a bit more
2: there. I'm a strong proponent of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just, just sort of, I know we're probably we're always going to be pushed for time with you, Kevin. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but I, I read something recently that, um, you know, with uh, this move to changing the whole construct of the workforce, actually this happened back in, Medi- um, in the Renaissance time. So we're moving from that sort of medieval systems of, um, you know, feudal farms and the like which is kind of what the industrial era ended up replicating, um, that the Renaissance flipped it around where human endeavour was about higher elements of, um, mm. sorry, of the art, the artistic, you know, and we would have these rich patrons sponsoring people who were poets and artists and the like. and
2: Leonardo and Mozart right. and everybody else, right? Yeah, yeah. and
1: uh, the suggestion was we're potentially going to be moving back to that era yeah. again where we don't need to do the, moon, the, the mundane jobs anymore.
2: Right. There's a, there's a, a professor uh, Richard Florida, who's written several books. His most famous one is "The Rise of the Creative Class." Yep. And mm-hmm. his his book is totally focused on pretty much what you're talking about. Mm. That we're entering an era where people can have the leisure time, yeah, to paint, to make music, to do these yeah. other that things that we value that they it never as a
1: society again.
2: Yeah. Mm. And we're shifting the away from a materialistic society, which you know we've all been brought up to think is great. Yeah. And the uh, millennials are already Mm. turning away from that society Uh, and so you know it's not a world where stuff is so important anymore Mm. Mm. it's really now back to how you think ideas culture good food you know enjoying life those are more important pursuits than being rich and we're kind of at a point where we're kind of Feeling sorry for the guy who was super rich, right? Yeah, Spent his whole life running that's around true. with three yeah. phones, and it's not yeah, the measure yeah. of success anymore. But no, it's not. Now no. it's a measure of, of insanity, right? Yeah. And we're yeah. saying, boy, the, the Frenchman who drinks wine and all day and just relaxes is actually a pretty cool guy. you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind a life Good like that. Too, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, excellent.
0: Oh, Kevin, it's an interesting perspective. And I think um, yeah, we covered a lot of ground in this discussion, actually, haven't we? Everything from AI to politics to education, you name it, it's been <laughs> full kit and caboodle. <laughs> maybe that'll be a bit like the conference today then, you know, and tomorrow. Maybe people will get a, a little bit of everything on, in the pie.
2: I think that would be a good thing. Yeah. yeah,
0: I do too. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, was Kevin. It's great.
2: Always uh, great. Thanks, guys.
0: Cheers. It's been great. And uh, that's coming to you live from Contingent Workforce Conference. That's Talking People in Tech. We'll be uh, back soon with yep. our uh, that's up next speaker.
1: I hope we'll be back soon, Jared. Or the ro- otherwise, the robots will have taken our jobs by then.
0: <laughs> no one will be nearly as attractive as
1: us, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kevin.